smartcast you are listening to a mint production brought to you by hd smartcast hello and welcome to our final discussion ahead of the big event on monday which is the union budget After seeing a stupendous crash almost 40%, the Indian stock market rose phoenix-like, much like many other global markets, fed on enormous liquidity to actually recover all those losses and it went on to scale new highs. Does the market depend on the union budget as an event or has it moved beyond that? What will it look for in the minutiae of the budget document and in the headlines indeed that will enable it to stay in its sweet spot? more importantly what's the macro side looking like and what's the fixed income market wary about one that hasn't had frankly a really great run through all of 2020 much to discuss and an important day to do it given the context of how much the market rallied and has lost over the last few days there seems to be a bit of nervousness in the system joining me to talk about all of that is a, a wide range of panelists today from macro to the micros of the stock market so let me introduce the faces that will be chatting with me today vetri subramaniam who's head of equity at UTI Nilkant Mishra who's India strategist and looks at the Asia Pacific region at Credit Suisse Pranjul Bhandari chief India economist at HSBC and R Shivakumar who heads fixed income at Access Mutual Fund welcome to all of you thank you for joining in Nilkant first word with you um you know in the past couple of years this has been more or less a statement of accounts kind of moment i mean it's a big deal for newspapers and television channels but aside from that the budget was slowly losing its relevance through the course of what happened in the year is it different this time around i think it is so uh, there is a lot of forecast uncertainty there is uh, been quite a bit of volatility in where we are really as an economy in terms of our fiscal balances so uh, we have seen for example uncertainty on what should be the nominal gdp growth in fy22 right so yesterday the imf published 11.5% real consensus is at about 9 to 10% uh, i think that uh, the real itself can be 13 to 14 and nominal can be 17 to 18 so what the government chooses is much more important than it would have been in the prior years secondly the granularity uh, at which the fiscal deficit itself is measured so for example you know there could be a debate in prior years on 10 20 basis points this time i think the least count itself is half a percent point but it will be 5% it will be 5.5% deficit and uh, what is the medium term consolidation path because the 60% debt to gdp now i think is not achievable in the next 10 years so what is the path that the government shows for uh, for the next 5 years in terms of debt to gdp and potentially the fiscal deficit targets there is also expectation i think on reform on how the disinvestment process can be kicked off there is uh, a lot of expectation on what happens to the financial sector because there seems to be some disenchantment within the government that every few years these psu banks come and ask for a lot of capital so how do we solve this problem permanently and also address some of the issues with lack of financial system capacity so i think there will be quite a bit to uh, to mull over uh, in this budget mm betri uh, there seems to be some pre event nerves as well i mean yes, today itself we've seen almost a 1000 point slide on the index um, are people going into the event light or is there some stress around what the event might throw up 
I'm not sure mentally that I would, you know, interpret any of this pullback as necessarily being related to nervousness about the budget. I mean, this has been a completely frenetic rally ever since the end of September. And if you choose to go all the way back to the end of last March, then, you know, it's been a phenomenal rally. So uh, there's nothing about this pullback which sort of makes it look different. Uh, I think as always, and unfortunately I say this as an equity investor where we are supposed to think, you know, particularly long term, uh, is that the mood swings of the market in and around the budget are literally limited to the impact that it has on the pocketbook and the wallet of investors, which means nothing impacts them more than changes in things like tax on dividend, uh, change in capital gains tax, change in STT, uh, you know, before we started the session, you talked about wealth tax. So those are the things, unfortunately, that sort of drives the short-term reaction of the market. May not matter in the longer scheme of things. And as people say, equity is an asset, which is really long-term, right? Because it's almost like an eternal asset. Companies continue for a very long period of time. But unfortunately, the short-term swings are just about these changes in taxation related to ownership of these equity shares. Mm. Shiva, you know, while the interest in the limelight is often taken by what happens with the equity markets, the brand is borne by the fixed income market. Uh, there is some exhaustion because of the size of the government's borrowing calendar. Is the fixed income market a bit wary about what will be announced for the coming financial year or has it more or less primed itself uh, for uh, the figure? Yeah, Mithali, I think this is going to be very interesting because uh, you know, th you're absolutely right. And the one thing that matters for us is what is the size of the borrowing program or the size of the uh, the fiscal balance itself. And the markets kind of accepted that we are not, uh, and also as what Neilkan said, that, you know, far away from uh, FRBM targets. So let's assume that we're probably going to be about 5.5% of GDP uh, fiscal deficit next year. That's kind of priced in. But it's important to see whether you're going to be at 5.5%. It's, it's kind of priced in. We are, we are uh, you know, just about 6% on the 10-year. We were at 6% give or take on the 10-year Indian GSEC uh, last March. So you know, in that sense, market's gone nowhere. Uh, the question is, can they really bring it much lower? Or if they go for a very big bank growth budget, can it be significantly higher than that? I think that will really set the tone uh, for the coming year. The closest uh, that we have in terms of a historical precedent for this was back in 2009. It's just coming off the 2008-2009 uh, financial crisis, the government actually went for a very large expansionary budget, cutting excise duties and uh, you know uh, going for a big expansion. Uh, and that kind of set the tone for the next two to three years when the pressures in the economy really went up. Obviously, growth came back roaring, uh, but then also you had a buildup of inflationary pressures and RBI then had to uh, do a lot of things. So I think it's going to be very important. This budget is going to be very important in setting the tone for the next two to three years about the direction of, uh, of macro uh, policy overall. Hmm. Yeah. As an economist, you know, which figure is it that you're going to be watching most carefully? Do you want to know what she has to say about the fiscal deficit figure, her nominal GDP targets, or is it more important what she does both on the expenditure side and how she's targeting revenue for the year and, uh, you know, for the year ahead? Uh, well, this is a tough question, but if you if I have to look at only one figure, I would probably look at expenditure as the proportion of GDP. And the reason I'm seeing this is because, you know, the last few months have been amazing for India. It's seen a very strong uh, recovery. 
uh, but to ensure that the recovery is sustained and is actually built on, uh, I think some big shifts need to happen through 2021. For instance, you know, we need to move from goods demand to services demand and a couple of other shifts. And if I think of each of these shifts, it seems very clear to me that government spending uh, will have to play a big role uh, for it to happen. In fact, I believe that uh, you know, in the in 2020, RBI play was the main game in town. It did most of the easing, it most most of the help for the recovery. But in 2021, the RBI may have to take a back seat, and the government might be the main sort of game in town. You know, uh, I, I sort of think about four shifts. Number one, moving from goods demand to services demand. Because in goods demand, we've already reached the pandemic levels. It's services, you know, where a lot of catch-up potential is there. But that will only be possible if the government, you know, works on a very, very quick uh, and efficient vaccination rollout plan. You know, another big shift is moving from rural India to urban India. But here, too, there will be a lot of distress, you know, in, in, in the process. A lot of people who've lost their jobs in urban India will need social welfare spending for longer. Same goes with... Uh, a shift from concentration of wealth at the top of the pyramid to more better distribution of wealth, you know, to the bottom of the pyramid, which is also necessary for sustained growth. Again, the government will have to play a main role. And then if you think about moving from consumption to investment at a time, private sector may not be very keen. Again, the government will have to play a big role. So I think government spending on all of these, a vaccination rollout, continued social welfare spending, uh, and also CapEx, is going to be very, very critical to ensure that, you know, the rebound in the system continues. Uh, and that's probably one of the main figures I'll be looking at. Of course, you know, I'll be looking at the fiscal deficit too, but I think expenditure will get most of my focus. Hmm. I want to spend some more time on expenditure, but before that, Nilkant, I'd like to come to you about this fiscal deficit issue. You know, it's a bit of a must-going now. What do you think would make the market happier? The fact that she goes out and says the most years it's at seven and a half percent. Here's what I'm targeting for. Or do you think the market is more influenced by uh, some transparency in the numbers, where the finance minister says, "Look, we've got a problem. It has been expanding. We've decided to cut ties with the FRBM. We're setting out a new glide path for us." Would you be so ambitious as to expect something like that from her? See, uh, on the uh, medium-term client path, I think it is it is essential. See, uh, the the uh, what markets hate is uncertainty. So the fact that we currently don't know uh, when the government or the bond market does not know when the government can get back to say seventy percent of uh, debt to GDP uh, state percenter is is I think a very big uncertainty for the government uh, for for the market and. I think setting an anchor to that will be will be uh, should be an expectation. It is not, I think, too much of an ask. And I think the government will be fully aware of that. And remember that this is also a year where the Finance Commission uh, report will be tabled in the Parliament, and uh, that will also, in many ways, set some uh, sort of anchors for what the government must do in terms of healthcare, in terms of defence. Uh, it, I think, going by newspaper reports, doesn't look like. There will be uh, a very big shift in uh, the percentage of money sent to states, but uh, but I think on specific issues related to healthcare, defense, education, there could be you know guidelines given. So so I think the the fiscal deficit, and if you're uh, you're right that there's been a lot of off-budget stuff that has been happening, uh, and there will be I think continuing uncertainties on that. But in many ways, if you see uh, the the, the challenge for the government is going to be how much to spend. And therefore, I am of the view that 
the government may actually uh, surprise positively on the fiscal side, even if it gives a target which uh, uh, whatever gets published on 1st of Feb. As the year progresses, we may find that the government's fiscal deficit is actually a lot lower. Just me uh, to explain that. See, uh, almost 80% of government spending is what I would call committed spending in the sense that it is interest, salaries, pensions, defense, uh, GST compensation, grants to states, PM Kisan, Narega. You know, so these are these are uh, uh, committed spends. If you remove those, and assuming that you get, say, uh, a, a 13 to 14 percent tax growth, right? That's what the government perhaps will both go with, and a five and a half percent fiscal deficit. Your total expenditure can grow at you know 16, 17 percent. And the, the residual, that 20% that remains, which is not committed already, will have to grow at like, you know, 150% year on year and maybe, you know, 60, 70% higher than FY20 levels. Can the really government really spend that much? We, we tend to assume that, you know, if you find that space on an Excel sheet, that that spending will automatically happen. It's not that easy. It is easy to cut tax rates. Uh, it is easy to transfer money into people's bank accounts, which is why June quarter spending was so strong, year-on-year year, GFC was up 20%. But when you get, get, get down to actual execution by the government, it becomes very challenging, which is why September quarter, the government spending was down 20% year-on-year. So, so when we look at the fiscal deficit, we have to also look at, as Pranjal was saying, that you know what is it in the context of the, uh, the expenditure and how much is the increase in discretionary expenditure that the government is committing. Vicky, come in on that, on you know both these points of fiscal deficit and expenditure, because the finance minister has, in a previous interview, you know, indicated that she's not too worried about the fiscal. But equally, uh, you know, beyond the point, you cannot spend your way out of a pandemic the way you can out of a recession. What does the market want to see in the minutiae of expenditure side, uh, you know, details from the finance minister? And do you think they are overly worried about the fiscal deficit figure? So I think the uh, from the oh, sorry, this was the question for Vetri. Vetri, go ahead, please. Uh, no, so to my mind, and I don't say this because I'm from the equity side of things, but you know, I think we are asking for too much if we expect the finance minister to give you a target uh, with you know a, a two decimal point precision on where we will end up in 21. I honestly think it would be far more realistic for the FM to say. Look, we've just been lucky. We've not seen a second wave of COVID. Uh, you know, we haven't seen a rising graph one way like the US, but we don't know what could happen in the next six to nine months. Of course, we've got visibility of the vaccine. So maybe you need to have a 200 basis point corridor that if all goes well, I'll get my fiscal deficit down. But if something goes wrong, then I might actually go to the upper end of that boundary. So I actually think it's far more useful to think about the tactics within that range rather than try to go for a single number. Uh, the second point, and I think Nilkant hit the nail on the head over there, you know, for many years, we've seen these grandiose plans and designs of spending. The reality is that government is not very good in spending at scale with speed. So I honestly think the tactic that worked best in 2009 which is putting money into everybody's pocket or literally making sure they have more left in their pocket because you bring indirect taxes down 
is actually a far swifter way of moving money into people's hands and letting them do what they think is most appropriate. We don't have to be patriarchal or you know uh, ideological about this. Just put it in people's hands and they'll do what is the best benefit uh, you know to them. The only other element that I would add is that perhaps an element of direct transfers is certainly necessary this time around because you know tell me one thing Mithali without doubt this is a unequal recovery if you don't use fiscal means now to address the inequality of the recovery when will you do so so this is the point in time to actually do that and if that means putting money into people's bank accounts by way of dbt then please do that. I think we know that there are segments who've not enjoyed this recovery. So I think it's the speed and scale at which you can get money into people's bank accounts that will determine the course of this recovery along with that great unknown, which is the you know virus itself. No, I agree with you completely, Vetri. And if not now, then when? Because the, uh, you know, the argument for not having done it when we were in the heat of the pandemic was that we were saving this kind of spending up for later when it would matter more. Prachal, you know, come in on this. Uh, what do you want to see from her in terms of pure fiscal spending and what kind of follow-through impact do you think that might have for the economy? Yeah, look, if you're asking me in terms of numbers, you know, I'm hoping that expenditure as a percent of GDP remains uh, unchanged at elevated levels. So which was 15.4% of GDP by my estimate in FI21, I'm hoping it remains the same in FI22. That's one. But within this, I'm hoping there is a change in quality. Uh, I'm hoping that the CapEx budget is a bit more uh, probably about 0.5% of GDP more. Now, uh, you know, somebody can turn around and ask me that can in one particular year, suddenly the government start doing so much of CapEx, you know, what about all the implementation bottlenecks on the ground? And my answer there is that, look, India tends to do some amount of replacement CapEx every year, you know, relaying of roads, mending of bridges, a lot of it did not happen in 2020. And in some sense, 2021, maybe doing two years of replacement CapEx, and therefore, there may be absorptive capacity for slightly higher capex on the ground, you know, for FI22, basically the calendar year FI21, 2021. This, I think, will also have another uh, sort of positive impact, which is urban welfare. Now, we know that for rural welfare, we have Narega, we have PM Kisan, and so on and so forth. But for urban India, we've actually struggled to get a good social welfare scheme together and you really can't get it done overnight so probably your best bet right now is to do some capex on the back of which, which there is some jobs in the economy uh you know even if they are for a year or so it'll be a good sort of bridge uh you know until things uh, normalize for good so i think uh you know capex slightly higher capex budget at this point uh, will be very useful alongside continued spend on Narega and PM Kisan, which largely takes care of the rural distress. Having said that, this is all short term. This is for this year. I think the budget should also have a view over the medium term. And I say that because, you know, we've not yet seen the worst of the pandemic in the growth numbers, in my view. I think right now we've been lucky, as Vetri also mentioned, that we've not yet had a second wave. And there's a lot of pent up demand uh, and a wall of savings sort of supporting that demand. But once that goes away, then then, is, then we may start seeing the real scars the pandemic has left behind. And one of that could be banking sector stress. You know, even when I look at previous slowdowns, I find that NPLs at banks actually doesn't rise in the year of the slowdown. 
because in that particular year there are a lot of emergency steps that can be taken you know regulatory easing or you know companies uh, not paying off vendors or cutting salaries and so on but these emergency steps can't be taken every single year and at some point the distress and the stress in the system starts showing up so some sort of a planning that how do you deal with the scars in the medium term in terms of bank recapitalization bonds or bigger reforms you know lessening uh, the mandate that the government has on public sector banks but whatever it be but there has to be an eye on the medium term uh, this budget can't just focus on this year alone Vedri, by the way, you're being very charitable about uh, the fiscal deficit target being missed by a couple of decimal points. I think it's been more than that. And the other one I would watch is, frankly, the taxation figure, which has been a miss for the last two years running. But uh, Shiva, you know, I want to turn to you for a bit in terms of what's been happening on the fixed income side. 2020 was sort of a you know world of dichotomy, dichotomies between equity and fixed income, where you saw very, very sharp outflows. What is it that the bond market is suffering from at this point and why is it underperforming its Asian peers by such a big margin in terms of flows? Okay. Uh, so I think this is a this is an interesting question. I think there is uh, obviously the uh, Indian uh, bond market has taken a lot of support from the RBI over the course of the last year. And But the problem for the RBI in some sense is a lot of the RBI's intervention happens only at the very short end of the yield curve. So you have seen a collapse in money market rates. You have seen a collapse in short-term bond rates, but actually nothing much else. Uh, and when we had the start of the lockdown, the impact uh, which was felt in equity market, we had a sharp correction in equity. It was also seen, for example, in credit markets, where you had a sharp expansion in credit spreads. Uh, now, while those credit spreads have started to narrow, they still have not reached the pre-COVID levels. Or, in fact, I would say uh, you need to go back to sort of uh, even a pre-ILF, which, which is now a three-year-old story. But uh, uh, to really say that we have come out of the woods in terms of uh, a well-functioning credit market. So there's a there's a long way to go, I think, in terms of repairing uh, certain segments of the bond market. But also, it's very important. You know, so the bond, absorptive capacity of the bond market for such a large supply of bonds. So how do you fix that? Right? So how do you, if you have, let's say, another, uh, you know, 10, 11 lakh crores of issuance uh, next year, how does the market absorb that? Especially if the RBI starts normalizing interest rates. Especially if the RBI comes out of this extraordinary easy liquidity program and starts absorbing liquidity, then how does the market really absorb it? I think that's going to be very interesting. Uh, obviously, the you know in, in the recent past we have kind of shelved this idea of uh, listing, in, I mean, getting India into global bond indices. So, do we get that back? Do we open our markets for foreign investors? That will drive us, I think, a lot of flows, a lot of long-term flows into India. We worry about uh, you know foreign investors being very tactical, but that's because we are not index members. The moment we become part of indices, we do tend to get more ETF type of more uh, stable flows. I think that's going to be something which we need. Uh, from a bond market perspective, but I think the 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 the, the point I want to make also is that uh, you know the discussion that has happened so far in has if you can boil that down into two aspects. One is how does the budget support consumption and how does it support infra? I think that comes ahead of all of these bond market needs. Really. In bond markets, you can you know you can say that we, the bond markets are funding the government, but that with the support of RBI that can go on for another year or so. But fundamentally, the budget need, from a budget perspective, whatever we say. Uh, you know, ignore us for another year and, uh, you know, do the right thing from the economy perspective. That's what matters. Mm, we will need to 
or a public sector what's called as government service bond i mean there are so many varieties of these bonds and all that matters when you see in nomenclature is that the yield changes a little bit so you know it's better that the, from the government's uh, financial perspective that they just borrow it on balance sheet they get the lowest interest rates that way and then they uh, spend it also on balance sheet that's probably the right thing to do you know the, the, the limited point i'm trying to make here is that in in searching for certain hard metrics like fiscal deficits and debt to gdp we try to the you know there is this thing that moment you say that that is the measure then we try to shoe on that measure by trying to exclude say for example some debt from being considered as part of the fisc but reality is it is fiscal debt i mean it is it is government liability in one form or another so it makes sense for for us to have a, a comprehensive economic plan which for example consolidates public sector debt to the extent that it is government guaranteed for example and 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 then provide provide a more comp- take a more comprehensive view of the fiscal position than to target a specific number i mean vetri mentioned 200 basis points range on the on the deficit i mean that's 5% to 7 percentage points of gdp it's a huge number but hey, that's where we have been i mean we thought we would be somewhere in the 4% mark and we're going to be ending up at 7% this year so you know you need to have those release walls which allow for a large variance if there's a shock to the system and not worry so much about that last basis point of you know trying to hit a certain target percentage of gdp yeah no spoiler yeah. you know just want to finish that point up with you because we were speaking earlier about how the rbi policy meeting the first one this year is scheduled later this week um, how soon and how sharply do you think uh, the reserve bank is going to pivot in terms of its liquidity stance right uh, so you know as i mentioned at the start that i think there's going to be a changing of guard uh, amongst policy makers uh, you know if rbi was the main game in town in 2020 i think the government is going to play that role in 2021 and the reason i think rbi will take begin to take a slightly uh, you know a, a smaller role is because of inflation now uh, in 2020 we saw inflation higher than 6% which is the upper top tolerance level and it was on the back of food prices thankfully food prices have come off and i'm hoping they're not going to be a big problem in 2021 but we have a new problem emerging in 2021 i'm a bit worried about what i call services inflation you know if 2021 is going to be the go- uh, the year of pent up services demand in the same way the previous year was the year of pent up goods demand then we may actually see some services inflation come up you know uh, we have this concept of menu costs in service providers in which uh, every year service providers increase prices by a little bit they didn't do it in 2020 in 2021 when a huge wave of demand comes uh, then uh, there could be two years of price adjustment all done in one year and that could be inflationary and the reason i worry about services inflation is because as opposed to goods you know which can be traded so for instance if something is expensive i just import more of it from somewhere it's you know cheaper 
services are non-tradable uh, by definition. So once it takes on, it can be a problem. Now, you know, I'm sort of seeing all this, but I'm not really trying to sound, uh, uh, you know, very scary. Overall, I think we have a lot of things going for ourselves. I do think food inflation will be low for most of the year. Uh, 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 but unfortunately, core inflation services will be high. If you put it all together, I see CPI inflation in the 5 to 5.5% range for FI22 which is higher than the RBI's 4% target, but lower than the upper tolerance level of 6%. So what will the RBI do here? My sense is that RBI will try to break down growth into structure, into cyclical recovery and potential growth. Uh, as long as cyclical recovery continues to happen, I think the RBI will try to normalize uh, by sucking out some of the excess liquidity liquidity that it has sort of had in the market for a long time. Uh, one aim of doing that would be to raise uh, the overnight rates up to 4%. You know, right now they are about 3.5%. The aim would be to raise it up to 4%, which is up to the repo rate. And that will ensure that India's real rates go up to zero. Right now, they are immensely negative, And we know in the past that negative real rates can be inflationary. So that could be one of RBI, uh, RBI sort of mechanism this year to suck out um, you know, excess liquidity in the market and nudge uh, overnight rates up to 4%. But then comes my second part, which is on potential growth. I worry that potential growth would have fallen through the pandemic. My own sense is that before the pandemic, India's potential growth was 6%. It has fallen to 5% after. And I feel that the RBI will not raise the benchmark repo rate until the potential growth starts to rise again. So to cut a long story short, in view of elevated inflation, RBI will suck out the excess liquidity from the market. But at the same time, it won't raise the repo rate, which you know, a lot of the market looks at. Uh, it won't raise the benchmark repo rate just yet. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.